Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and fuck Nazis, fuck white supremacists. I know that kind of goes without saying, but frankly, it's literally gone without saying a bit too much this week for my taste. So, yeah. Any donations made to the podcast this month on Patreon are going directly to the Southern Poverty Law Center so that they can continue to oppose hate groups. That's it. That's all I got right now. Let's talk about a comic book. So, without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Lucas Brown, the host of the delightful The Math of You podcast. Nearly hit by morning water? That's a dewdrop, miss. So sit down and get ready for a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Lucas. New Teen Titans, number 22. August, 1982. Ashes to Ashes. Written by Marv Wolfman, trotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Robin. Starfire. Beast Boy. Raven. Cyborg. Wonder Girl. Kid Flash. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Cyborg's ex-gal pal Marcy decided to join an evil cult headed by the charismatic leader Brother Blood. Brother Blood claims to be 700 years old, wears a snake skull on his head, and sometimes feeds people to giant spiders. Bad move, Marcy. Then she got tired of that nonsense and decided to quit the Church of Blood. Hooray! But also, bad move, Marcy. It turned out that the Church of Blood has a zero-tolerance policy towards apostasy. Blood ordered his followers to murder the religious renouncing runaway with their ray guns. Marcy fled the city and sought the assistance of her robified former beau, but as soon as she had placed the call, cult member Creeps Kool-Aid manned their way through her wall and lasered the shit out of the assistance asking apostate. Cyborg literally leaped to the crime scene, but arrived too late to do anything but that Wolverine thing where he dropped to his knees and bellowed no at the heavens. Shitty. Later at Marcy's funeral, the mostly mechanical mourner was confronted by the guest of honor's robophobic grieving parents. Marcy's dad was all pissed and blamed Cyborg for his daughter's death. But when the other Teen Titans showed up, wearing black trench coats over their costumes, he chilled the fuck out and apologized. When the funeral crashing teens grilled the grief-stricken father, he revealed that previous to her murder, Marcy had joined up with Brother Blood's cult, and that there was a pretty good chance her subsequent murder by laser was not unrelated. Soon after the funeral, Robin, Wonder Girl, Raven, and Kid Flash went undercover as new recruits to the Church of Blood. True to form, the, quote, inconspicuous, unquote, which is to say white, quartet of titans turned out to be terrible at secret identities and were soon outed as incognito interlopers. Blood and his followers beat the living crap out of our bad-at-blending-in heroes. Just before passing out, Raven used the last of her energy to send her giant astral bird form out to seek the aid of the rest of the Teen Titans. Gadzooks! Will Raven's plea for assistance go better than the last time a teenage girl asked Cyborg to save her from Brother Blood? Does her exclusion from the undercover squad indicate that the Titans finally recognize that Starfire's secret identity as Cory Anders is kinda bullshit? And will Brother Blood's ominous name and the fact that he wears a giant snake skull on his hat hinder his acceptance by mainstream media? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so marginally better in that no Titans are actually murdered, but still not great. No, I'm pretty sure she's still a totally inconspicuous, orange-skinned fashion model with nine-foot hair made of space fire. Maybe she just couldn't find her impenetrable disguise of sunglasses before the gang left on this adventure. And not as much as you might suspect. Brother Blood stands triumphant over the unconscious bodies of the Titans. 
He orders his alliteratively named acolyte, Mother Mayhem, to throw Donna, Wally, and Raven into the spider pits to be eaten. Shitty. Then he has Robin dragged off to be tortured by one of his minions, an elaborately apparelled acolyte named The Confessor. Also shitty. Good thing Raven's soul self was able to sneak off to get help undetected. Yeah, not so much. Turns out the nine-foot giant bird that left Raven's body might not have been as subtle as she assumed it was. Brother Blood somehow detected the enormous Ebon Avian and begins making plans to neutralize the efficacy of the inevitable reinforcements. The murderous messiah of mayhem retires to his media room. He stands on a giant pedestal and places a FaceTime call on the hundreds of monitors that cover the dome-like walls of his, I don't know, temple? Den? Production studio? Man cave? Yeah, let's stick with that last one. It sounds the evilest. From within the depths of his diabolical man cave, Brother Blood calls up Senator Hardy, who he has been paying to bribe other congresspeople to give his cult preferential status. Blood instructs the sycophantic Senate member to ensure that his fellow representatives in Washington watch the nationally broadcast interview with him tonight, which he sets up with another of his acolytes, a TV journalist named Bethany Snow. Wait a minute. If we can't trust politicians or TV pundits, then who can we trust? Okay, I know this is unsettling, but it's important to remember it's just a comic book. I'm sure in real life, we can trust our politicians and the media to speak out and strongly denounce evil when they see it, even if it goes against their economic or political interest to do so. Yeah. Anyway, once the supposedly septicentennial scumbag finishes up with his sinister scheduling session, he heads down to his high-tech torture chamber to see if the confessor has made any progress in his boy wonder-breaking. Nope. The only thing the confessor has managed to extract from the tormented teen is a heapin' helpin' of sass. Hooray! Meanwhile, back at the Titan Tower, Cyborg is getting pretty steamed up about being left out of the whole cult infiltrating thing. Beast Boy tries to tell his bionic buddy to chill out, but Vic ain't hearing it. The hot-headed hydraulic hero is all, They killed my ex-girlfriend! I want to smash shit! Beast Boy counters, No, Robin said not to smash shit yet. Starfire joins in with, Ah, oh, but we never get to smash shit, and smashing shit is the best. Just then, the tempestuous debate is interrupted by the arrival of a giant black talking bird. It says, Nevermore. Just kidding, it's the other raven's bird-shaped soul self. She's all, Me and the rest of the titans are totally hosed. We need you to come smash some shit for us. So, that settles that. Back at Brother Blood's dungeon, the Confessor is doing his damnedest to break Robin's spirit, but regardless of how many times the torture technician pokes our prostrate protagonist with his flaming pain poles, the tight-lipped teen refuses to relent. The Confessor apologizes to Brother Blood for his failure, but the allegedly ancient Archfiend tells him not to sweat it. He knows he tried his best. Huh. The last acolyte who failed Brother Blood got fed to a giant spider. Looks like somebody got a talking to from HR. Hey, Speaking of giant spiders, Blood and his minions toss the nearly lifeless body of the defiant do-gooder into the spider pit with his unconscious teammates. The agony-enduring adolescent acrobat snaps out of his torture-induced nap just in time to do some sweet flips. Keen. Then that giant spider I was talking about shows up and is all like, Om nom nom, gots to eat me some teenagers! I mean, he doesn't talk, but he says it with his eyes. Which, being a spider, he has eight of. But they're not compound. That's arthropods, not arachnids. 
Anyways, Robin does some more sweet-ass flips, avoiding his arachnid antagonist, and then uses Donna's lasso to drag his teammates out of harm's way. For now. While the boy wonder continues his arachnid-avoiding acrobatics, Brother Blood is sitting down for his exclusive interview with Bethany Snow. As Miss Snow lobs him some softball questions, the cult-leading creep calmly explains that while the name Brother Blood may seem sinister at first, blood is merely a metaphor for the source of all life. Sounds reasonable. Mind you, it might sound even more reasonable if the sermon weren't delivered from a throne made out of a giant snake skull by a guy with a smaller snake skull jammed on top of his head. Throughout the interview, Blood keeps checking the incoming reports on his high-tech wrist computer. When he receives word that the Titan jet carrying Cyborg, Beast Boy, and Starfire on their rescue mission is approaching his compound, the Messianic Menace announces to the camera that his church is being unfairly persecuted by those who are challenged by his message of peace. In fact, he fears for his life and has reason to believe that a reckless group of dangerous vigilante superheroes is on their way to kill him. No sooner does the horrifically haberdashed holy man finish speaking than a trio of titans led by Cyborg Kool-Aid man their way through the compound wall, bellowing that they are out for blood's blood. Damn. I mean, the guy's totally evil and shit, but I gotta say, well played, Brother Blood. Pretty clever. Our media unsavvy heroes trounce Blood's minions, and Cyborg starts slugging it out with the cult leader himself. Meanwhile, down in the spider pit, Robin is still doing sweet, sweet flips and swinging around on Donna's lasso. But his eight-legged foe has finally caught up with him. Things look pretty grim for the bare-legged bird enthusiast, when suddenly, Raven's soul self crawls back into her body and starts pitching in. Hooray! Raven uses her empath malarkey to make the marauding spider go night-night. In doing so, the empath learns that Brother Blood has been controlling the creature through a combination of torture and starvation. Not cool! I'd take back the begrudging respect I had been developing for the sanguinary surnamed Serpent Skull Sitting so-and-so. Fuck that guy. I mean, lasering disobedient teens from time to time is one thing, but spider abuse? Boo! I mean, if it wasn't for giant spiders, his catacombs would be overrun with giant roaches and giant mosquitoes. After making sure that her teammates were alive and likely to remain so for the immediate future, Raven popped back upstairs and tried to do that thing where she wraps her feel-bad cocoon of a soul self around someone on Brother Blood. It doesn't go great. He struts through her soul self like it ain't no thing, and the avian-inspired empath shrieks in pain and collapses in a heap. Dang. Using the last of her strength, the agonized Azerathian drags herself to the nearby control panel and pushes a button that opens the door to the spider pit where her captured comrades had been imprisoned. An apparently feeling much better, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash, and Robin rocket out of the depths of the chamber below. Once the entire Titan roster has been reunited, they take turns punching and blasting the crap out of Brother Blood. Which is great and all, but to the assembled media who aren't privy to the whole kidnapping and spider abuse thing, the teens end up looking like a bunch of abusive assholes. Blood flees the Titan's assault and seals himself in a secret chamber from which an escape jet launches. Looks like the snake-hatted spider-starver is about to make a clean getaway, when Cyborg leaps onto the back of the ascending jet and rips its wing off, leaping to safety just before the vehicle plummets into a nearby mountainside in a fiery explosion. TV reporter and secret acolyte of the Church of Blood, Bethany Snow, finishes her news story, concluding that the Church of Blood is great, 
Brother Blood was a noble martyr who almost certainly didn't murder teens and abuse arachnids, and the Teen Titans are a bunch of murderous thugs. Robin's a little miffed at Cyborg, on account of the whole murder thing, but then Raven reveals that she senses that Brother Blood was never on that plane that crashed, and also somehow Cyborg knew that. Sure enough, we see that Blood and a bunch of his favorite minions are chilling out on some kind of a high-tech secret hidden plane, gloating about how everything went great and the Titans are a bunch of stupid idiots. Man, I want to argue with the guy, but, well, he raises a pretty good point. Then we get a little epilogue that takes place in the far reaches of outer space, aboard an alien spaceship, the Gordanians, those farty little Godzilla monsters that Starfire escaped from in the first issue are reporting to their tyrannical new boss. She orders the gaseous alien assholes to plot a course for Earth. It seems that she has plans to kill the escaped slave, Princess Coriander, and her human protectors, the Teen Titans. Oh no! And who is this despotic death dealer who has lethal intentions for our orange-skinned ingenue? Why, it's Starfire's own long-lost sister. Damn! Well... That's sibling rivalry for you. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time Cory tried to have a race of aliens murder me just so he could claim my cosmic empire for his own, well, let's just say I wouldn't have to have a Patreon page set up that you can donate to at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. That's for sure. That's patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. For all your giving me money needs. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? It's going okay. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Glad to hear it. So, what'd you think? Wow, so many things. So beautifully illustrated. And really well written, too. Mm -hmm. Like, this one really popped. It completely worked for me, kind of across the board. Really good story. Brother Blood is a truly scary bad guy. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yep, I wasn't even distracted by his possible mustache. I was a little bit, but I was kind of glad for that, because then I didn't get too scared. Yeah, he's pretty evil. Yeah. And we get that reveal at the end. The farty Godzilla monsters are back. Yeah, but I was confused because when... What's his name? Zachrak. Yeah. Who's the damn human he's talking about? Okay, my interpretation of that is that that is an interplanetary diss. Oh. <laughs> like, it is a slur. Mm. In space, if somebody is vaguely humanoid, if you call them a human then it's like, oh, shit. Oh, okay, so it's not that he just can't tell the difference between Earth humans and Tamaranians. Maybe, although that is something that, like, the word humanity and human gets bandied about quite a bit when it refers to human-like aliens. But yeah, I saw that as being a diss on mm. her. Like, damn human. It's like, ouch. Uh, like, uh, what was the one from Star Trek? Ugly sacks of mostly water. Who one, said that? One of the bad guys from the Next Generation referred to humans as, as ugly sacks of mostly water, which huh. I thought was a pretty good diss. Yeah. Pretty good. 80%, man. Yeah, zing. You got us, man. <laughs> you gotta have a little bit of truth in the zinger to really make it sting. Starfire's sister seems like a real jerkwad. Also, this doesn't make sense to me that initially I thought it was the lizard guys were enslaving the... Tamaranians, so I was like, why would... Why would she be working with them? Yeah. Shit happens, man. I guess so. Create a fucked up system, you get people that are going to react to it in different ways. There'll, there'll be some collusion going on, and there'll be, there'll be dickwads on both ends of the spectrum, man. That's true. Intergalactic dickwads. Or humans. <laughs> <laughs> Burn! Oh. 
But that seems like that's something that's going to be a big thing coming up pretty soon for us. Or Starfire. She's still so bummed out about her man getting all dead. Yeah, still. It's been three months, Corey. Well, she's no Donna Troy. She can't just bounce back. I guess. She feels perhaps too deeply. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of her thing. But yeah, so that's something we'll deal with later, but pretty good zinger ending. Yeah, let's talk about Brother Blood a little bit. Sure. He is a remarkably competent villain. Yeah, unusually so. Way more so than any that we have seen the Titans face before, with the possible exception of Deathstroke. But even then, like, he was getting kind of manipulated by Hive, and he pays more lip service to being super intelligent than he actually pulls off, I feel like. This dude gets shit done. Mm -hmm. And in a couple of ways that is surprising for a villain of his caliber. Like, you kind of expect some, like, Cobra Commander shit from him, but there are little touches where, like, his chief torturer, the Confessor, Mm -hmm. who looks badass, by the way, totally is unable to extract information from Robin, and I was totally expecting Brother Blood to throw him in the fucking spider pit, Mm -hmm. but instead he's just like, well, you did your best. He actually rewards loyalty and has reasonable expectation of his underlings. That's a pretty good leader, and he manipulates the media remarkably well, and he makes good use of his paid informants in Congress. Mm -hmm. He really just does a good job and his whole plan for like trapping the titans into making themselves look bad works pretty much flawlessly he also did something that nobody else seems to have done which is notice that a giant nine foot bird is coming out of raven when she sends her soul self out someplace at the end of the last issue it really made it seem like oh thank god right before she became unconscious her soul self went off and sought the titan's aid Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know that. He thinks she's all dead. No, I totally noticed that. Because mm-hmm. it's a nine-foot giant black bird that comes out of her body that I think she had been under the impression that nobody could see. Mm-hmm. I wonder to what extent that plays into the whole the Titans are bad with secret identities thing. I don't know. I think it's an ability thing on his part because he's also able to like step through it when she tries to envelop and him in it and mess him up which she's able to do to pretty much everybody else yeah either advertently or inadvertently yeah which is again something where it's just like does she understand how her powers work or what she's doing i think maybe everybody can see that thing Mm -hmm. i understand that he does have specific powers where he's just like i can step through this dark dimension of madness and it'll fuck you up not me up yeah maybe she but she constantly forgets that it's going to do that to people, like when she wraps Starfire in it, or mm-hmm. when in that uh, drug special that we have on the Patreon-only donor episode, mm-hmm. when he, she sends the kid who's fucking tripping on PCP mm-hmm. into her soul self, and it's just like, oh, you didn't like it in there? That made you have a bad trip? Oh, shit, my bad. So it's possible, too, that just for editorial expediency she did go through all that and brother blood is just so fucking evil that it, he just walked out the other side and he's like what else yeah, yeah she, i think that makes sense and she was just, just like oh my god <laughs> shitty <laughs> that's never happened before <laughs> but yeah he does a great job i talked a little bit about the fact that he manipulated the media mm-hmm. and he does for the most part do a really good job he's pretty savvy with it He sets up an interview with one of his acolytes. I'm assuming her whole news crew must have been in on that. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it seems like somebody there from the media, and it seemed like there were a lot of people with cameras around, would notice, oh, you do have a giant man-eating spider in that pit that those teens just escaped from. I don't think they could see into it. No? No, because the teens looked like they were, like, 
beamed up on a tube of light or oh, something? Oh, no, that was Kid Flash doing his helicopter thing. Is that what that was? Yeah. Oh. It was a little confusing for me, too. Mm. But, yeah, no, that was Kid Flash regained consciousness, and then he zoomed them both up that's there. a goofy ass way to get out because he looks like he's sitting in an invisible chair like twiddling his fingers below his butt uh-huh. <laughs> like he's trying to wave <laughs> away a fart well there also might be something else going on in that panel because in the panel before that <laughs> when raven regains consciousness ed tells robin to get wally up the way that she phrases it Around is him. <laughs> The way that she phrases it is, <laughs> try to arouse Wallace while I open the pit door. Yeah. So maybe Robin did too good a job, because <laughs> he is just wearing his green Speedo at that point. The rest of his costume has been ripped off of him in a way that I kind of appreciated that it's just like, oh, normally we would see like a male gaze thing if it was like a female superhero having her costume destroyed, mm-hmm. but... It being a male superhero having his costume just, like, ripped to shreds except for his tiny little bikini briefs. Mm-hmm. It seemed as though the the artwork, I almost called it the camera, does kind of just, like, in a fairly lascivious way focus on his body. In a way that I was just like, you know what? Yeah, turnabout's fair play. <laughs> well, it's all that trapeze work. I mean... Makes you buff. That's If that's what it takes for him to arouse Wallace... <laughs> Robin's very literal, too, so... He really is. Raven and, said that. He's and like, that mm. may have been, like, what made Wally just be like, Whoa, tornado! <laughs> Whoa, dude. <laughs> not cool, man. We're all getting out of here right now. I was passed out. That is not okay. <laughs> we have discussed the fact that I am very conservative. <laughs> but Raven this said... This makes to... me very uncomfortable. Wee! Jazz hands. <laughs> tornado oh the jazziest of hands the other way that i thought it was funny with brother blood manipulating the media is the interviewer asks him the question so the name brother blood seems like make might make some people uncomfortable yeah it's a scary name it is but he's like no blood just means life that's where life comes from without blood there is no life people shouldn't be any more concerned about that than they are with my ceremonial garments it's like, dude, you, you're wearing a skull on your head. Mm-hmm. And you're conducting this interview from your throne, which is shaped like a giant snake skull. Mm-hmm. Or possibly is just a giant snake skull. Maybe you could have had this interview in the media room that you have, or in front of your art collection, or someplace else. That seems like a pretty bad move, and kind of thoughtless move for someone who is otherwise very adept at manipulating media. Yeah, it could be, could be also that, you know, he's just so used to his position of power that... It's just like, this is how it is, and you guys have to accept it. It may also just be the fact that he is not very good at manipulating the media. Like, he thinks that he is, and he has surrounded himself. Everyone there is working for him, the Mm -hmm. interviewer. And the Titans clearly have no gauge for how their shit goes over with people. So they might just be thinking, oh no, he's totally duped everybody. And everybody watching at home is just like, yeah, that's a cult leader with a skull on his head. Mm -hmm. I'm not fucking fooled. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, his PR guy's like, hey, do you want to use the art room? He's like, I told them not to be freaked out. <laughs> yes, so they will not be. Fine. There's I... a part in there, too, where he's oh, his minions are all chanting, you know, brother blood, brother blood. And he's just like, it's just like noise. Yeah. Background noise to him. He's well, totally And I think the captioning is just like, he's learned long ago to block out the mewlings of his minions. Yeah. It's like, that's pretty well phrased. Damn. Okay cold-blooded dude so like i said his competence actually kind of won me over a little bit don't get me wrong i still think he's a jerk 
But what really reinforced is just like, no, no, fuck this guy, was when we find out that he's been torturing that spider. Not mm-hmm. cool, man. I know you want your giant spider to eat people, but I had previously constructed this narrative where when we <laughs> see him interviewing the senator in his weird media room, mm-hmm. it is a weird fucking room. There are like hundreds of tiny TVs all over the wall, but he has them all on and they're all tuned to the same dude, mm-hmm. which... It's like, oh, that's a really low-rent, like, Ozymandias from Watchmen type watching every channel at once. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have them all on the same channel. You could just have one big screen TV on. But So what I constructed in my mind was, oh, he has that room set up that way because that's where he likes to watch TV with his spider. Oh. Because sometimes, like, me and my dog Finley, we like to watch TV together. It's nice mm-hmm. to cuddle. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's spider. That's That would be... A good way for him to view things, because he's got 800 eyeballs or whatever. Oh. So, it's just a nice little TV room that he has set up for him and his spider friend. That's kind of sweet. And then we find out that he's been torturing that spider so that the spider will eat teenagers. Not cool. since it was a tiny spider, too. Yeah, I mean, there's other ways to go about that. Just, you know. Don't feed it as much. Well, I mean, you shouldn't starve him. But, like, if you, if you, you know what? If you feed your spider teenagers... Teenagers is what will eat. Mm. Just have him grow up on a diet of teens. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying you don't need to abuse your spider to get it to eat teenagers. Yeah. Okay. There are other ways to go about it. You could just have a nice, chill time, watch some SpongeBob in your meteor room with mm-hmm. your spider, train him to eat teens. You don't need to torture him. Bad job, Brother Blood. Evil has many facets. Mm. But only one name. Blood. Whoa. Yeah, see, I got a little promo for him. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Oh, were you saying facets like a, uh, you were making a pun on, uh, on spider eyeballs? I wasn't, but I'll take it. Okay, fair enough. Nice work. Thanks. <laughs> so, when he is in his weird media room, where apparently he doesn't watch TV with his chill, chill spider buddy, he is interviewing that Senator Hardy. Mm-hmm. Senator Hardy referenced something called abscam, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. Like, normally it seems like cultural references are just shoehorned in to make the characters who are otherwise referring to people as bozos seem like, yes, this takes place in the 80s. This actually makes sense that there had been something that happened recently in the news that would make the idea of bribing senators more difficult Mm -hmm. because blood wants to bribe the senators so that they will recognize the church of blood as an official religion. Mm -hmm. And it's called abscam, which was something that I had not been familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it's what the movie American Hustle was about, which I have not seen. Mm. But it was something that happened in the 70s and 80s where the FBI and the Department of Justice worked together with a convicted con man and did a sting operation on, I think they ended up catching seven Congress members and convict them of accepting bribes from a fictional Arabic corporation that they set up. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a really interesting story. It actually makes me want to watch American Hustle now and also just kind of learn about that in general. It's like, oh, that's actually interesting and it it works with the storyline to to have that be a cultural reference to something that happened recently. The reason it's called Abscam was because it was short for Arab Scam. Mm -hmm. And quite reasonably, the Arab American Anti-Defamation League was like, hey, can you not call it that? Like, it's not like 
in the early 80s, Arab Americans had a particularly easy time of it right then already. What with the Iran hostage uh, crisis happening recently? I know technically that's Persians, but golly, a lot of racists don't like to make distinctions like that. Mm -hmm. Cultural representation, like the Iron Sheik. Right. His famed camel clutch. <laughs> I love the Iron Sheik. <laughs> I know it's wrong. <laughs> I do love the Iron Sheik. But in response, they decided, okay, well, we're still going to call it Abscam because, what, we're going to come up with a new name. But we'll then instead say that that's short for Abdul Scam because that's the, uh, the name of the fictional Arabic person that we had doing the scam. How on earth is that any fucking better? I had the same thought. I was like, same that, question. that actually, that, that sounds worse mm -hmm. somehow. And also, Arabs didn't do anything wrong in this situation. Like, this is you guys. This is an FBI scam that you set up with a fake corporation that doesn't exist that you decided should be Arabic. Why are you dragging them into this shit? Yep. I guess it just rolled off the tongue a little better, ab scam, rather than, you know, Senate scam or... There are so many things they could have gone with. Dirty Sen Sen scam's scam. fine. Sen scam. Sen scam. Ah, bad senators. Get, yeah. Get in trouble. Also, if you just now read the word ab scam... It's like, oh, that must be the lens that they shot Robin with in, <laughs> in this book. <laughs> they really captured all of his abs with that abs cam. Yep. So I'm just saying, it leads to confusion in that way as well. Yeah, I kind of appreciated that they didn't dumb it down where they just said it offhand. Like They didn't have they the just... little asterisks after it yeah, saying I was like, looking vertical takeoff and landing. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they just assumed, hey, everybody reading this is that's in the news. Everybody's talking about it. It actually comes up for a couple of reasons in this issue. There were a couple of things that reminded me. We watched a terrible movie recently called The USS Indianapolis. Oh. Spam! <laughs> that is one reason that it came up. We'll get to that in the sound effects. <laughs> it is the most blatant product placement for the product Spam. Uh, their ship has sunk, and they're being eaten by sharks, and they are all on lifeboats. And Nicolas Cage gives them some spam. And they're all just like, spam! So good! This is the best! Oh! I just, I love that everybody's sitting there, sitting there all super despondent. As, uh -huh. You know, you would be. And he just, he holds out this can and he just says, spam! <laughs> it's great. So that's one reason that came up during this. How did we Another, get here? Okay, because when we were talking about the... The news. The news. When they were introduced news items, the movie has this scene at the beginning where it's like this closed room encounter. Mm. And they're all sitting around and going, all right, so we're three months into President Truman's presidency. This is happening and this is happening. It's like, yeah, I would assume they all know that. Mm -hmm. You are having a high-level naval officer meeting, and you just informed them of the fact that the president was, in fact, the president. And that happens, like, nine or ten times in that uh, movie. But it doesn't happen here. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it just drops abscam. Yes, this is a current reference, so you guys will get it. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, there is, I think, a tendency in comic books, why we have the whole show and tell as a category, to over-explain things, and they avoided doing that, which mm -hmm. I appreciated. Well, in the defense of that wonderfully written movie, too, this is contemporaneous, like the people reading this in 1982 would right. recognize it, but, right. you know, if you were to ask me, like, <laughs> who was president during World War II, I'd be like, oh, just let me Google that. I'll get back to you. <laughs> okay, fair point. 
But the other thing that happens in this is uh, Robin punches a spider in the eye, and that reminds me kicks, of... He kicks it. He, he kicks he, a spider in the eye. Yeah. And if you are fighting a shark, we learn from this movie, you are supposed to hit them in the eye. And also that if sharks eat all of your friends, you probably won't like them very much. Oh, that poor man. There's an interview at the <laughs> end of the movie where they talk to somebody who actually was a survivor of the USS Indianapolis, and he went through a horrific ordeal, and I don't mean to make light of that, but I don't know what question they asked him that his response was, after seeing so many of my friends get eaten by sharks, I don't think I ever will like them. Yeah, I'd... What question could they... Po- like? And, Did they just ask him, like, so have you and sharks made peace now? Yeah, could you be friends with a shark? <laughs> How do you like the cartoon Jabber Jaws? I felt bad for <laughs> laughing at that, dude. I tried to think of it in my own terms as I wasn't laughing at the old man who survived a horrific ordeal. I am laughing at the ineptitude of the interviewer in this situation that elicited that response. It's <laughs> a fine point, but yeah. Hey, you want to talk about this comic book some more? Swim! <laughs> So, Robin's on maybe some speed in this issue. He's certainly drawn that way. I know they are trying to make him look surprised in a lot of scenes, but the domino mask, is that what they're called? Yes. That he's got? When they draw his eyes, like, really wide open with little pinprick pupils. Oh, gotcha. There's See, a few of those where he just looks like... I hadn't even noticed that. Like, uh, Do you have pages uh, written down? Yeah, check out page 21. Okay, yeah. I can see that in that. It's honestly, the depiction of eyeballs when people are wearing domino masks varies so wildly that I kind of zone it out. I'm so used to them not having eyeballs at all that if there is an eyeball, it's jarring enough that I don't notice the details of it, but... You are absolutely right. He does have tiny pinprick eyes. And it would make sense if he was maybe on some kind of speed. Maybe that is why the confessor is unable to elicit a uh. confession from him. He might just be totally zonked on adrenaline, though, because, like, his spider fight was very harrowing and that it came after this prolonged torture session. I gotta say, I came out of this thing with a whole new respect for Robin. Dude, no kidding. He's able to talk himself down, too, because as any normal living, breathing human... Yes. would feel like if your friends are in dire straits and appear to be dead yeah. and about to be eaten by a giant spider, you're like torn with grief. Oh my God, it looks and like my friend's not breathing. And he keeps like verbally being like, dude, snap out of it. You got to fight this spider and then you can deal with your feelings later. Yeah, it's one of many situations in which it seems to really come in handy for him that Batman was a terrible dad. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Must have sucked growing up that way, but you are specifically trained to deal with this situation in which a giant spider is about to eat your friends and you've just been tortured. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for that level of preparation. Not unlike uh, Ben Affleck in that movie, The Accountant, that I watched about half of last night. Ah, I did not see that movie. Pretty good? (laughs) Yeah, he's a... His superpower is basically that he was horribly abused by his parents? Yeah, and he's super good at accounting and killing people. Cool. Yep. <laughs> Sounds like a great movie. Pretty good. Actually, not that far from Batman. No, that's... Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God, gotta get me some of that early childhood trauma. Seemed apropos. <laughs> Absolutely. There's another thing that comes up. So after Blood's master plan to make the Titans look foolish and to make himself appear persecuted by them and by American society in general, which, great job, again. Mm-hmm. He has his, I guess... 
media spokesperson? Is it Mother Mayhem? Is she the one that is left, or does she get on the sub with him when he escapes at the end? I can't it's, figure out. Who, is difficult she, is for she me the to blonde tell. lady that like wears sexy clothes and lays at his feet? Or I think so. Let, let me take a look. She gets first name checked pretty early on. I think maybe even on the first page. I think she's off panel. Um, off panel though. We don't know who's. Yeah, on. it's tough to tell which one of them is Mother Mayhem. She probably is the blonde lady, just because. She has a different outfit than the rest of them. It's really tough to tell. She's the one, I think, at the end who says, even though his plane got blown up, Okay, so you think that one's Mother Mayhem, and she's not one of the ones that is on the sub with him when he is escaping. She gets left behind to run things. It's all rather confusing. It kind of is. But that character, whoever gets left behind to run shit and to talk to the media, I don't think you get to choose not to press charges in a murder case. Hmm. Like, she's just like, no, let it go, guys. He, w- he would want to forgive these people, even though they did just murder him. Yeah, you don't get to make that call. Like, if there's been a murder, they are going to, well, theoretically, at least, they are going to investigate it. You, you don't get to choose not to press charges in a murder case. I don't think she says specifically don't press charges. I guess you're right. I, I Maybe I read too much into that. She's not like, don't spend your valuable tax dollars trying to persecute this thing. That... Because you won't be getting any tax dollars from us because we're a real religion. Yes, the news reporter says, you saw it live. These teen titans stalked Brother Blood and killed him. Killed this man who only minutes ago preached for peace and hope for all mankind. Not exactly what he was doing. It was mostly preaching for being left alone. I believe. But Mother Mayhem, let's assume it's her, interrupts and says, Pardon me, Bethany, but please don't blame these children. Brother Blood would have asked forgiveness, even for his killers. Our leader will rise again, as he has always done. He will lead us into a new world of hope. Brother Blood, Brother Blood, Brother Blood. Basically Jesus. Oh yeah. So you're right. I guess she is not specifically saying we are not pressing charges in this murder investigation. I think the other part where his kind of understanding of popular sentiment and media manipulation breaks down is this is also the point in our culture in which heavy metal music and Dungeons right. and Dragons and right. you know, basically anything that's interesting that's not <laughs> you know, churchy is sure is being poo pooed by uptight people. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I don't think they're necessarily going to be swayed by turning on the TV and saying like, well, the nice man in the skull hat says that uh, he's cool. So I guess he's cool. He's got a snake on his head. Yep, he's got a snake on his head, but he's saying things about peace and love. Therefore, we should listen to his message, not the strange trappings of his outfit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that doesn't seem to generally go over very well. Yeah, I mean, even if his genuine message were peace and love, and frankly, he was not wearing a snake on his head. The fact that it was a different religion would probably mean that it would be called satanic and witchcraft by a large segment of the conservative media mm-hmm. uh, and population in the country in general at that point. So yeah, the fact that he's saying those things and does look like a more traditional like Satanist-like mm-hmm. dude, probably not going to go over very well. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get into the minutiae? Let's see. Spam, snake hats. Nope. Good. Okay. Well, Rick, you want to sing us in on this one? We got minutiae. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutiae. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutiae. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks. 
So, Corey, what do you feel like hitting first? Let's take it to the Bozone. All right, taking it to the Bozone. <laughs> what instance of someone calling someone else a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to focus on? I am going to go with some editorializing. Okay. They're reintroducing us, I guess, or, or introducing maybe a new reader to Brother Blood. Sure. And they say about him some pretty harsh words. Let's take a look. I'm assuming you're talking about the very first page of this comic book. Indeed I am. All right. Editorializing is, is good. They want to ease you into the story sure. so you don't get scared. Right. But we do first see Brother Blood talking about the fact that he has just crushed the Titans and he wants to throw them in a pit so they'll die. Mm -hmm. And then we have the narrator tell us. Please know, gentle reader, that this man is named Brother Blood. He is not very nice. That's my zinger. That's pretty tight. I loved that. And I actually felt like that set the tone for the comic book pretty well. The fact that you have a fairly dark comic book like this, but that it starts off on a note of levity, it's a much more nuanced comic than some of the ones that we've seen before, and it doesn't go into melodrama as much as it could have. And I think that tempering it that way at the beginning was a really good move. Yeah, it's um, like saying, hey, kids, don't worry. You're still, you're just reading a comic. Yeah. I know he's scary. Yeah. But but look at this fake mustache he's wearing. <laughs> very nice. But not very nice. Not at all. No. I liked that too. Uh, I decided to go with as my zinger the headcanon that all aliens use the word damn human <laughs> as a insult. The other option that I had was on page 16 where we find out that Brother Blood has been torturing his spider friend, which is not cool. I don't know if friend is the right word. Well, exactly. I'm sorry. But we have Raven informs us, The creature was in agony. Brother Blood nurtured its appetite and anger through torture. And Robin says, Yeah, that seems to be his way. Nice guy. Probably a charter member of the Marquis de Sade fan club. Zing. Yeah, he's a jerk. Marquis de Sade? You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes, the Marquis de Sade was a fucking jerk. <laughs> Also, Brother Blood. Fair enough. But yeah, so that that and when he's like, yeah, nice guy. Probably a member of the Marxist Assad fan club. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Pretty good. So yeah, those are my two my two Bozone moments. That and the uh, damn human. Damn human. Okay. How about we go from this to, do you have a show and tell or a timestamp? I have a timestamp. Okay. Is it Abscam? It is. We have discussed it at length already. We, but... we have indeed. And I had the same one. And then as a show and tell, I had the, he is not very nice. <laughs> ah. I just wanted to have a show and tell to just be like, see, when you get that that's what you're doing with it, it can be pretty funny. And mm -hmm. you can use it to good effect too. And I, I, I liked that. Yeah. And that was also just, I think, maybe my favorite part in the comic book. The, this is Brother Blood. He is not very nice. Yep. It's so good. Whenever the very first page makes you laugh out loud, that's a, a good Uh-huh. Speaking of laughing out loud, what was your favorite panel? Your, uh, yours may not have been a laugh out loud panel. Mine kind of was. I have split. There is so much good artwork there is, in this. It so is really hard. Once again, as with every Perez issue, it is fucking gorgeous. And his character design work is great. So, as usual, my choice of favorite panels kind of falls into two, I think, rather... I don't know if they're opposing, but they're really different sort of categories. Sure. One are things that are just, like, very simple, bold, graphical mm -hmm. things that, like, from a design perspective, like, oh, this would make a cool poster or logo. Sure. And then there's just, like, the goofy shit that makes me laugh. Mm -hmm. And I actually am torn 
because I, there's two super awesome design things, and then there's two super awesome make-me-laugh things. Okay, for the make-you-laugh thing, was one of them the triple monkey punch? Yes. <laughs> I love the triple monkey punch that's so much. That's literally what I wrote down, <laughs> really? triple monkey punch. That is exactly what I wrote down, too. <laughs> like, triple monkey punch. Yep, there it is. Triple monkey punch. <laughs> <laughs> there is a panel that is on page 14 where Beast Boy is punching out three dudes while he is a chimpanzee, and it's rad. A couple panels later, he kicks somebody when he is a giant green kangaroo, and I loved that too. Was that your other That's one? That's my other one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. When he kicks, the, kicks somebody as a kangaroo, it goes clunk. Yep. And plus, it just made me think, like, uh, I bet Starfire's looking at him like, I don't want to ride around on that thing when uh, an Amazon joust. Yeah. Pretty good. Right. I forgot about that. So what were your two more serious panels? On page 19, there's a panel that I just called Wham! And I can see why. That is really nicely done. Mm-hmm. It's an explosion with a... Um, All of the characters in it are shown as blue silhouettes because there is a giant radiating light that they are getting blasted with. I believe it is... Is that Starfire? Yeah. But it's... A wall is exploding, so there's rubble flying, and then there's characters that are as blue silhouettes through this, like, yellow and orange starburst of light, and it is really cool looking. Yes. I liked that one very much, and then the other one, which I think will serve as a good segue into our sound effect section is is it when they kool-aid their way into the building when vic and Mm -mm. oh because that one's pretty good that is really good no this other one is on page 14 and the sound effect is spam and it's again where it's really simple there's probably three colors the characters are mostly in silhouette black and orange this bright yellow background and you like your silhouettes don't you i do Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool and the colors that pop and then the giant spam and blue letters yeah it's very arresting. Arousing? Arresting, Corey. Oh. <laughs> you leave Wally alone. <laughs> hey, wake up, buddy. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> Wally. <laughs> Alright, sound effects. I'm assuming spam is one of them? Actually, it's not, even though I always want to use that because it's a funny word. It's pretty good. I had it as one of mine. Okay. What did you have? My favorite one is Zizzly. Zizzly? Yeah. What page is that on? It's on page 17. I'm not actually sure what sort of sound it's supposed to be. I mean, it's like a lasery, lightningy, electric-y sound, but in terms of how do you pronounce it? Zizzly! <laughs> that is really funny. I didn't even notice that. Zizzly! <laughs> not bad. It's like a bunch of E's at the end. Yeah, mine are, mine are much more. I had a spa-bam. Oh, classic. Because that was pretty fun, and that's when they Kool-Aid their way through the wall. Uh, Gar and Cyborg and Starfire do. And I also had a Spatoom. Ah. Because Spatoom's pretty fun. Is that when Wonder Girl gives that giant uppercut to um, Snakehead? I believe it is, yes. Mm. Brother Blood. Yes. You can call him Snakehead. I forgot his name for a That's okay. (laughs) Well, you can easily remember it because all of life comes from blood. Mm -hmm. And so he's really just saying that he's about life. Yeah. I don't buy it, man. Okay. Cold-blooded. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cold-blooded, sartorially speaking? Oh, we may have the same dude. I've got a little bit to talk about, because there's a few things, but I think what you're referring to is probably the Confessor. Yeah. He is fucking dope-looking. Yeah, that's a crazy outfit. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I started to write down things about it, and then I just said, page four, we're just gonna have to look at it. 
Yeah, it's, it's really cool. He's got a shiny helmet that connects to his belt, and what connects his helmet to his belt is an elongated skull. And it's like kind of a techno-looking belt. He's got swashbuckler boots, which I fucking love. Like the big, long cuffs on the boots. Yeah, full mask that is somehow both skull-like and snake-like, but not really either. And very, like, shiny and high-tech looking. And he's got staffs that have uh, magic flame shooting out of each end of them. And he's got two of them. And he's got, like, kind of wizard sleeves. Mm-hmm. Bell-bottomy sleeves. Yeah, it's got, it's like, a great look fencing mask kind of face area what's like mm-hmm. obscured and, and then also there's like the helmet has little like snake fangs coming up into that area it's very shiny yeah reverse cobra commander kind of man not a shiny face but a shiny cowl it's real good and it's weird he's like it's obviously a super high-tech torture situation but then robin is just sitting in a bunch of hay and there's a giant chain Probably which somehow old, makes it more creepy old dungeon yeah but they've definitely done some upgrades on it. Oh, yeah. And it's totally unnecessary for Robin, too, to have these, like, incredibly high-tech manacles over his fists. Mm-hmm. It but it's very unsettling. And th- that is also the panel I was talking about in which it's just, like, almost lascivious the way that Robin's costume is torn and falling off of his his torso. Mm-hmm. I also, speaking of, sartorially speaking, body, and Ro- Robin, mm-hmm. what did you say? He said, look at my body, Wally. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. But speaking of that, throughout most of this issue, Robin is dressed as Namor. (laughs) He's just wearing his green Speedo. That's a good point. And his boots almost look like little wings because they're like the Mm. Peter Pan boots, which are not a strong look. It's tradition. I understand that. Mm. He's been Robin for a while now. But yeah, those those little boots are a funny look. But when his costume is reduced just to the Namor outfit... The fact that they look like little winged feet is even more pronounced, and I really appreciated that. I hmm. thought it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, that was that was the main thing. I also Mother Mayhem's outfit, like just the the underling robes in general. Like it's weird having like sexy nuns as your underlings, showing a lot of leg, but still wearing like cultish robes. It's a very specific look and pretty good one. Yeah, I don't know if it's that weird. I think Brother Blood's just like. Just like, I hey, I want to be able to wake up Wally. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, <laughs> oh, and Bethany Snow, the interviewer, mm. had a very 80s TV reporter look that I appreciated the consistency of that. Mm-hmm. She has like a blouse that is almost like a Colonel Sanders mm-hmm. tie. Like there's a weird knot thing happening in the front of the blouse, which mm-hmm. I don't really understand. And then over that, she has a purple skirt suit Mm -hmm. uh with some very 80 shoulder pads and big tv hair big hair yeah Yeah. and uh it's a it's a very 1980s tv reporter look and it's really well done she kind of reminded me of the gracie law character from big trouble in little china oh i get that yeah Yeah, that makes sense Mm mm-hmm Except for evil. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Bethany Snow is evil. Well, she might have been. She's an acolyte of Brother She could be brainwashed. Mm, I guess. Or something. I still don't like the way she is trying to do the Titans dirty. Nobody likes that except Brother Blood and his And Bethany Snow. Well, you just, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, you're right. You think maybe he's been treating her like he treats his spider. Maybe. That's been starving her. Yeah, no. And torturing no, her no to TV get her to eat teens. The, no TV in she the She doesn't get room. to watch any TV in the break room. No with TV. Him, even though it is specifically set up for her eye set. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool, Brother Blood. That is not very nice. 
Yes, speaking of not very nice, mm. each issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and also has an Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Speedy? Oh, okay. Last minute Speedy this time, and I'm calling him that because I forgot to write it down before <laughs> we started recording. Okay. And I feel bad about this because he is one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. But in this issue, Cyborg was a giant jerk to Beast Boy... And I understand why he was, but I had to pick somebody, and that was the only thing that jumped out at me. I had a lot of reasons for choosing Cyborg as well. He was my choice, A, because of the way he treated uh, Beast Boy, mm -hmm. who did a great job in this issue. And he I'm did. not just talking about the triple monkey punch and the kangaroo kick. No, he was a real team player. He really was. But also, I understand that Victor is upset. But the way that he kind of hijacked the narrative of Marcy's death and made it about him is really not cool. And the way that he was possessive of her posthumously. It's like, and I understand there are different ways to read this, but when we first see him and he's freaking out... Um, Going to the old Titan standby he, he of uh, first, work, working out when you're upset. Exactly, which I understand. But he's just talking about how mad he is. And he's like, Brother Blood killed Marcy, the first girl I loved. Killed her just because she knew me. No, she he killed her because she tried to escape the group. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they found out that she knew you. Her death wasn't because of you. Mm -hmm. And when Beast Boy tells him to chill out, he's like, Marcy was my girl and I should be doing something about it. Whoa. No, she was actually her own person who you had, you didn't currently have a relationship. She had left you. And for spurious reasons, it's because of her parents' robophobia. Mm -hmm. But still, you don't own her. And the fact that she died doesn't change that. And that's not cool. And then also, for more concrete reasons outside of his motivation, he just does a bad job. Mm -hmm. Like, Raven talks about, oh, Brother Blood wasn't really on that plane that Victor tore apart. And Vic I sense that Victor knew that, too. Okay, then why'd you tear apart the plane and make it look like you murdered the guy? That was a bad fucking move. Yeah, it's not his best uh, turn. No, no. And and yeah, I feel bad. I understand that he's upset and he, he may feel some personal responsibility, even though it's misguided, I think. But the way he goes about expressing that, kind of fucked up. And he's a dick to Beast Boy. He downplays it a little bit. Like, well, then after he's a dick to Beast Boy and like Beast Boy's like, no, we're not going after them. Level heads here. They're going to need us later. Mm-hmm. And Starfire does not help matters. She's well, just no. kind of egging him on. But that is true to form for her. She is a hothead. Mm -hmm. Perhaps literally because her hair may be made of magic space fire. But Vic is a, a real jerk to Beast Boy and says, like, you couldn't stop me. Maybe you could stop some little kid who was trying to escape. It's mm -hmm. like, you just created that. Like, that isn't something that happened before. I don't know what you're referencing exactly. It's just kind of mean and also doesn't make a ton of sense. Well, he's, he's questioning his masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, which he does pretty regularly. Yeah, but yeah. then later, when they are flying to rescue the other Titans, Vic downplays that and says, hey, sorry about what I said. I was just upset. And Beast Boy has internalized it a bit. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but what you said is true. And and Cyborg does say, like, no, it, it wasn't. I was upset. I would have said that to anybody who was trying to stop me from doing this. And yeah, you fuck up sometimes, but you don't fuck up any more than the rest of us do. Mm -hmm. Which I liked that somebody said that. Yep. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, I felt bad for Beast Boy too because he was like, all I could do is turn into these stupid animals. And Dude, you do a great job. He does a great job. Mm -hmm. None, nobody else triple monkey punches. 
Maybe that was the kick in the pants he uh, needed. Mm. So, conversely, who Man, is your Aqualad? Robin saves the day. I had a tie between between Robin and Beast Boy. Oh. Uh, because I really, I think they both displayed, to paraphrase a Harry Potter book, they both displayed different types of bravery. Ah. So, Beast Boy really gets his Neville Longbottom on. Like, sure. he tries to stand up to his best friends who are wanting to do something that he thinks is wrong. Mm -hmm. And that is really difficult to do. So, while Robin displays the more traditional Gryffindor means of valor mm -hmm. and, you know, fights the tor overcomes torture, doesn't submit to it, doesn't share any information, and then fights a giant spider and does a great job with that, Beast Boy displays not just that Neville Longbottom courage, he does a triple monkey punch. He does a kangaroo kick. He is the only one on the team who is like, you guys, Brother Blood is manipulating us. We are going to look bad on television when we do this thing that we are doing. Can we stop and talk about what we're doing? Yep. He's the only one who saw that. Voice of reason. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not usual. No, it, it isn't. But I really enjoyed this, this display from him. And I think that, yes, both he and Robin displayed... A lot of courage and and both I, I really just couldn't choose between them so it's a tie they are co-aqualad this issue 20 points to hufflepuff <laughs> <laughs> i know neville longbottom was a member of gryffindor but i always think of him as a hufflepuff fair enough hufflepuff. Uh, um, <laughs> yes yeah so you had robin for the reasons that we just mentioned was there anything that i neglected about robin I think that this is one of the few times in which the leadership mantle that he just often assumes is really merited. Yeah, it feels earned. Yeah. Yeah, he he, he does a great job in this mm -hmm. issue. He acts as a natural leader, not mm -hmm. one that's like, I'm the leader, follow me, mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I'm the leader. Right. He's more of a, I think, maybe inspired by his, uh, his wardrobe malfunction into a Namor suit. Uh, he is far more Namor than Doctor Strange in this issue. Ah, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. Well done. I believe that is it for the minutia. But, once again, thanks to the largest of our generous Patreon donors, we have the category, Wapoot! What is Aqualad probably up to? In August of 1982, Corey? Hmm. Wapoot! Yeah, Waput indeed. Dear listeners, be subjected to yet more inane ramblings of... Corey, that's what they tune in for. That's the whole thing. Uh. <laughs> if we are to cut out the inane ramblings, it would be like me picking up the podcast and moving it over a foot. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. All right, so... Oh, man. Aqualad is not doing so good uh, around the end of August 1982. Oh, really? Yeah. His What's the matter? socks and his undies and pretty much everything has got holes chewed through it. By what? He's bruised. He's what happened? beaten. He made a couple decisions that weren't great. One of them was to get a pet ferret. Oh, that is a mistake. Yeah. And the other is... Um, Did Beaky and the ferret get along? Not at all. Oh. And so the ferrets took to, to you know, hiding and lurking in the shadows and eating their way through his, uh, his clothing Oof. drawers. Oh, yeah. dear. But in addition to that, he also has put his sea strength and limbs to use learning the sweet science of boxing. Really? Yeah. And uh, which is which has been tricky for him, right? Because when he goes to the gym, he's got to not 
you know, use right. his strength and like, right. nobody's going to want to spar with him or whatever. So gotcha. he's like basically pulling all his punches and consequently just getting the crap beaten out of him. Uh. But so why, you ask, would he get this ferret and and the sudden interest in boxing? I'm a little curious, Corey, I must admit. Okay. Has to do with movies and music. Does it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and technology. The big three. Yeah. So this is the uh, the birth of the compact disc. I, I'm aware. Yep. And I don't know if you remember, like I did when those came out, I was like, that's stupid. Who's going to use those? Tapes are tops. Agreed. Everybody loves tapes. They're the best. Not going to go buy some fancy shiny round player thing. No way. But, you know, he's 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 all right. He's got some money saved up from his days. So he uh, spent some time in line at the local music store and uh, got uh, the CD um, from Survivor that has oh. Eye of the Tiger on it. Oh, from Rocky Three. Yeah, exactly. He loved that fucking movie, which is why he took out boxing. Did Rocky Three come out that year? Yes, it did at the uh, the twenty eighth. Oh the boy, end of the month. But anyway, in anticipation, anticipation. Okay. Yes, he got the uh, he got the CDs. Been listening to music, going to the gym, training, trying to do his own little fight montage. Why did he thing. buy the ferret? So also that year, one of the most watched movies was Beastmaster. Okay. Just the you. appearance of a couple adorable ferrets. <laughs> it also has nothing to do with the fact that he also bought um, the Come On Eileen single on CD, which also came out that month. Dude, but... that is a, a great song. That is mm-hmm. a great album. Dexie's Midnight Runners is a great band. Yeah, although that playing full blast in the background while he chases the ferrets around his apartment. Uh, that's pretty funny. Comedy that gold. That makes a pretty decent image in my mind. Yeah, so that's... That's the bits and pieces that I have for what Aqualad was probably up to. Well, that is a pretty full August. I will tell you how he spent the early parts of August. Mm. The very first day of August, in fact. He, true to his form, was was checking out some aquatic events. (laughs) He gave a couple pointers to an old buddy of his, Greg Luganis. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him. Yeah, Diveroo. Yeah, he, uh, he scored perfect 700 on 11 dives. In, uh, on August 1st, and a certain swimmer by the name of Petra Schneider broke the swimming record for 400 meter freestyle. That's a lot of swimming. It is. She was very impressed with Aqualad, and she wrote him a, a fan letter. Um, it's like, hey, Aqualad, I see what you do. I want to do the best that I can do. Why don't you come over to Germany and come and meet me? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, I would. I, I am a, an a, a aficionado of all the aquatic arts. So he went over to Germany to uh, meet this young swimmer, which is where they were releasing the first compact discs, was in Germany. So while he was over there, I don't know if you know this about Aqualad, but he did train in the sorceress arts while he was in... What? Atlantis. I did not know that. Yes. It may not have been retconned into the comics yet at this point, but at some point in some comic books, Aqualad did train in the Sorceress Arts while he was in Atlantis. Okay. But he doesn't use it a ton, but it's there in the back of his mind. And he heard something that uh, reminded him of that training. And what he heard was Steve Miller's Abracadabra. (laughs) Also very popular that Very popular song. Terrible song, but Aqualad's tastes are not in all things the same as mine. Mm. In many regards, there is some overlap. Certainly, we both like the Doobie Brothers. I like their earlier, harder rock and stuff. He likes the Michael McDonald years. Mm. Well, smooth. Yeah, yeah. 
which is smooth is very important if you're going to swim at very high speeds like Aqualad exactly. or a certain Petra Schneider. Mm -hmm. So while he was over in Germany, he decided to buy his first compact disc, which was one of the first compact discs. They first went on sale on August 17th in Germany, mm. and he bought the single of Abracadabra by the <laughs> Steve Miller Band. Oh, wow. And that is Waput. So much good music. And, and also some Steve Miller. <laughs> oh, I love Steve Miller. Uh, I agree to disagree. That's I think you don't love Steve Miller. <laughs> I just feel good times. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, dear listener. We are going to be back next week with, again, thanks to the largest of our Patreon donors, Giant Size Defenders number one. Woohoo! I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun uh, and a lot of coverage. And I think for it, I will make us some fancy cocktails mm. as were designed by Lucas Brown, specifically for me, for my appearance when I appeared on his fantastic podcast, The Math of You, which really you guys should all check out. But he designed three different variations on Manhattans, and uh, I'll get some ingredients and we'll try a couple of them out as we drink our way through Giant Size Defenders number one. A flight of Manhattans. I think that's or the plan. a flight of fancy. Quite so. Mm. Quite so. Off draw. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to drop me a line, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. We are on iTunes, Stitcher. If you want to leave us a review and subscribe, I think that would be great. And then you won't miss any of our fun-filled and fancy-free episodes. Of inane ramblings. <laughs> Of inane ramblings, yes. Of course. Yeah. Hey, Wally. <laughs> <laughs> Touch me not. Oh, wait. That's a wrong, wrong comic. Yeah. yeah. Either way. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And they knew it. No. Am I the speedy? No, you would never be that. Thanks, Corey. You would never be the speedy either. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> never choose me as the speedy. <laughs> You're on That's tip, a dirty man. trick. <laughs> dirty indeed. Yep, it's a real ab scam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How is it less bad that they renamed it from Arab I scam don't, to dude, Abdul we're talking scam. about that. <laughs> All right.